2: The way we go, episode 71 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, May 26, 2021, the day after the first Washington football team OTA practice opened to the media in this 2021 offseason. That is always one of my favorite days of the offseason because we on Twitter get incredible granular detail of the practice, footage from the practice. Indeed, at times, play-by-play, of the practice. And nothing, and I mean nothing, is better than play-by-play of practice. And you may think that I'm mocking the people who cover the team for doing this, but actually I'm not, because the truth is people eat this stuff up. I eat this stuff up. We can't get enough of the coverage of the Washington football team. I experience that every time I do this podcast, and so it was with breathless anticipation that we got our updates from the OTA practice On Tuesday. Taylor Heineke was the number two quarterback. What does that mean? The starting offensive line included Sadiq Charles at left tackle with Charles Leno Jr. not in attendance. Wes Schweitzer was the starting left guard as opposed to Eric Flowers. Cornelius Lucas was the starting right tackle as opposed to Samuel Cosby. Oh, the intrigue. How about Troy Apke? Yeah, remember him? He was taking snaps at corner on Tuesday, so he can get beat now at corner in addition to free safety. Yes, thank you very much. You get the idea. Do you miss football? Because I miss football. It was nice to have a taste of football on Tuesday, and you're going to get a lot more of a taste on this installment of the Al Goldie podcast. You will have a feast. Ron Rivera and Ryan Fitzpatrick each speaking at length. Via Zoom press conference after practice, I will take you through all you need here starting next segment. The Don, Don Ron, was at the Zoom mic, as was Fitzmagic, the likely Washington QB1 for 2021. Special guest on the podcast on this Wednesday, Steve Buckhance. No! Not possible! Not possible! No, Buck. That is possible. Buck, that is possible. You're on the podcast. Steve Buckhans, the legendary former television voice of the Wizards, the co-host of a podcast of his own on the road with Buck and Phil. We will go in depth on the Wizards as their game two at the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round of the NBA playoffs is Wednesday night at seven. Can the Wizards realistically make this a series? What does Russell Westbrook provide that John Wall did not what is Scott Brooks' future with the Wizards beyond this season? Steve Buckhantz, uncensored, on the Wiz, coming up on this installment of the podcast. No! Not possible! No, Buck, that is possible. Buck, that is possible. I'm telling you, you got to trust me on this. Uh, the Capitals, a bunch of their players spoke on Tuesday off the five-game first-round series loss to the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We finally got the truth about a bunch of injuries. Alex Ovechkin talked about his looming free agency. Evgeny Kuznetsov talked about getting COVID-19 again, despite having been vaccinated. TJ Oshi talked about potentially being left unprotected by the Caps in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. And we have yet another controversy involving Ilya Samsonov. Why is it always something with this guy? There's a lot going on with the Caps right now. I'll get into all of it. I'll talk Nationals off another putrid offensive performance in a loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, wasting another great start by Max Scherzer. I'll talk Orioles off another terrible pitching performance for them in a loss at the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Speaking of the Nats, I got this email from Sandra on Tuesday night. Uh, she writes, Galdi, I continue to love both podcasts. Ah, uh, thank you. Yes, the Al Galdi podcast and the Nats chat podcast. She says, question, Who replaced FP? My husband and I can't figure out who he is. Keep up the good work. Sandra. Yes, FP Sant'Angelo remains persona non grata on the mass telecast of Nationals games. It's not official, official that he's been fired. Although, like I said weeks ago, I don't think you ever see him do another Nationals game again of him having been accused of sexual misconduct. And I'm not saying that he's guilty. I'm just saying that in the current environment, I don't see F.P. Santangelo being welcomed back by Masson. I don't really see the upside if you're Masson in having him back on unless you know with complete certainty that he's innocent. And I don't know that you can know with anything close to complete certainty that he's innocent. But the man whose voice you're hearing and whose face at times you are seeing is Justin Maxwell a former Nationals outfielder. He is a local, product of Sherwood High School, also went to the University of Maryland. And, you know, he's been thrust into a tough spot here. I mean, he's not used to doing this. You know, he's trying to develop the rapport with Bob Carpenter. This is not easy. You know, in season, amidst a controversy, you got to try to figure out a new broadcast team the Nationals. Uh, that's not ideal. It, it, it's been a rough go of it here for Masson when you consider, first of all, the way Masson is run, which is on the cheap. Then you had this complete fail of a launch of the Masson app, which wasn't even ready to go for the start of the season. And I don't even know, are people using the Masson app? I, I've heard like nothing about the Masson app. I think it is out there and has been out there for a little bit here. But I don't know of anyone who's using it. Uh, so tell me, if you use it, hit me up and let me know. I certainly have not used it. And then you have the actual seasons for the teams whose games are carried on Masson. The Nationals have not been a very good team so far. The Orioles, of course, are a tanking mess. So yeah, uh, these are not banner days right now for the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network. Although what does remain, and if you watch Nationals games, you know this, is the song, the Masson theme song, Which I am convinced will never, ever, ever go away. Ah yes, there it is. Isn't it comforting to know? That in turbulent times, you still have something you can fall back upon. A bedrock that you can lean on, like that great Masson theme, which will never, ever, ever leave us. And I mean ever. All right, that's enough, please. On to the Washington football team, which, by the way, added another player on Tuesday. Signed a tight end. We'll get to that. But first, the Don was at the mic. So we on Tuesday had the first Washington football team OTA practice open to the media in this 2021 offseason. What we believe was in fact the first Washington football team OTA practice period this offseason. Ron Rivera and Ryan Fitzpatrick were among those who spoke via Zoom press conference. So let's get into what happened and some of the best of what Ron and Fitzmagic had to say. So we on Tuesday's podcast talked about the attendance. Washington on Monday reportedly had more than 80 players show up at the team's facility in Ashburn, Virginia for the start of what is known as phase three of Washington's 2021 offseason program. And the number that was confirmed on Tuesday in terms of attendance at Washington's OTA practice was 86. So think about that. 86 players in an offseason in which a number of teams by the NFL Players Association, have openly announced boycotting in-person off-season workouts. Washington players not only haven't done that, they have showed up for the start of the OTA practice portion of the off-season program, what is, remember, technically voluntary, in a major way. 86 players. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on Washington's impressive player attendance as OTA practices have begun.
1: I think, you know, as, as a team... We just understand we're a young football team. We're a group of young guys that are coming together. We got a lot of new faces, and you know, for the most part, just very pleased with what we got. Uh, I appreciate our guys being attentive. Uh, again, it is a voluntary situation, and and it, it is pleasing to have uh, have a good mixture of the guys. As I said, we got a lot of new players, a lot of new faces, and um, I guess our guys, you know, are looking at the opportunity to develop and, and come together, and, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with that.
2: And he should be pleased. 86 players showing up for the start of the OTA practice portion of the offseason is a great sign that the culture change is taking effect. It doesn't mean victory. It doesn't mean that the job is complete, but it does mean that things are tracking well. Now, Washington did not have 100% attendance on Tuesday. Among those who were not there, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And I am not one of these people who goes nuts over who isn't in attendance at OTAs, but that is notable, right? Two of Washington's best defensive players not being there. Here was Ron on neither Chase nor Montez attending.
1: I know they've talked to their position coaches and the thing that we stress is that is voluntary. I mean, you'd love to have everybody here, you know, especially when, because we, you know, we've got, uh, 86 guys, I think it is, or 87 today. And, you know, it'd be nice to have everybody, but I get it. And, 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 guys, you know, they're, they're entitled to do the things that they, they, they feel they need to do right now. Um, you know, they're both good, young, solid football players. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is that they'll be here when they're here.
2: I think if you're Ron, it's not a fight worth fighting. Chase Young and Montez Sweat having to be there for every single OTA practice. I mean, would it be nice if they were there? Yes. I'm sure they have their reasons. There are plenty of really good players who don't attend every OTA practice off-season in and off-season out. So like I said, I don't make that big of a deal of this. I think it would be nice if they were there, but the fact that they're not there doesn't really bother me. But what about those Washington players who were there? Again, 86 players in an offseason in which the NFLPA is openly calling for boycotting in-person offseason workouts. This, to me, again, is a sign that the Ron Rivera culture change is taking effect. What does 86 players showing up say to Ron?
1: Well, I think our, our, our guys obviously understand the value of it um, and the importance of it. And as I said, though, you know, we have to stress the rules to make sure we're following them. You know, we, 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 we've got to, you know, be, be on top of that. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we came out and some of our guys had their shells on and, and, and we're not allowed to have shells. So we had to have them take it off before we started practicing, but it was, you know, I appreciate the enthusiasm. I really do because this is voluntary, but I think our guys understand that we're, we're a fairly new team, um, with a lot of new faces, even though, you know, from last year. Um, and so to get together, to work together to develop Um, I think our guys have seen the importance and significance of this. So I'm I'm really grateful that they're here. I I really truly am, And, and I appreciate them being here.
2: So that brings us to this. How much do these OTA practices matter? Like, it's one thing to say it's great that all these guys are showing up, and I think that it is great. But it's another thing to say that these OTA practices actually lead to winning. Because the truth is, Washington has had what seemed like good attendance numbers at OTA practices in the past. And then Washington has flopped in the ensuing season. So how much does practicing in the offseason truly lead to winning? More from Ron.
1: I think it's very important because I'll say this. A couple of times our quarterbacks threw the back shoulder fades. Um, and, and in fact, Ryan threw one to Cam Sims, and it was, it was a perfect back shoulder. Cam saw it at the right time, made the right move, and made a heck of a catch. So, you know, those are the types of things that, that you work towards developing. You know, um, when we we had a drill going and watching our offensive, I mean, our defensive line, they ran what we call a natural and it was just, it was a natural pick and, you know, it was, it was, it was just, it happened and, and you watch these guys and you see them do these things already and it's kind of cool, but, you know, but again, that's what we're working for is to develop that feel for one another and, you know, and, and, and again, this is a good opportunity. We're just real appreciative of, of, of the players and, and having that many players here.
2: So you heard Ron mention Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let's hear from Ryan Fitzpatrick, the likely week one starting quarterback for Washington. Not definite, but likely. Here he was on Tuesday on if the OTA practice had a different feel for him given that he is the favorite to be Washington's QB one in week
3: one. Uh I mean it's not it's not that rare for me as my career's gone on, but uh I, I do think it's important. I think you know, I think these workouts in the off season, especially being on a new team, uh, I think they're really important for guys to get around each other. And e- even if it's, you know, throwing on an air and taking some reps off, um, not necessarily always being in the most competitive situation, just getting into a huddle, just looking guys in the eye, being able to call, you know, spit out the play and spit it out with some confidence. Those little things, uh, they're important. And, and for me being on a new team, I felt like it was really important for me to be here and be able to go through this stuff and grow with these guys. So, um, you know, I'm again, I, I can't say it enough or stress it enough today. I thought it was a great start for the guys. And, uh, I'm really excited to be here and that excitement has just grown as I've gotten around everybody.
2: Ah, uh, yes. Excitement. It is in the air for us as Washington football team fans, including One of the great supporters of this podcast, John Grandland of Real Broker, master real estate agent. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home. He's a huge WFT fan, so much so that he's come up with something inspired by Ron Rivera. Whereas Ron has position flex, John Grandland now has commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, you have position flex, John Grandland, a.k.a. John G., has commission flex. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. That would be dumb. Let John Grandlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity. In your pocket, John has a menu of commission packages that you can choose from. Again, Commission Flex, including selling your home for free. Yes, you heard that right, for free, zero commission. Some conditions do apply. Interviewing John Grandland is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house and give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly. And there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, even if you are just thinking about selling your home, contact my guy, John Grandland, aka John G. He'll sell your home guaranteed. That's right. Guaranteed. He guarantees the sale of your home. The phone number is 703-537-6747. That's 703 703- or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandland, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he offers commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. Now for more on Washington's quarterbacks. So if you caught my conversation with Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus on last Friday's installment of the podcast, episode 68, you heard him talk about how and why he views Washington as a Super Bowl contender. Yes, a Super Bowl contender. And a big part of that is Monson believes that Ryan Fitzpatrick is capable of having a third consecutive high-level season. Remember, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been top 10 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR each of the last two seasons. Fitzpatrick finished the 2020 regular season number five among 33 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR at 76.9. Fitzpatrick finished a 2019 regular season at number eight among 30 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR at 68.3. It's not for sure for sure that Fitzpatrick will be Washington's starting quarterback to begin the 2021 season and I do still believe that there should be an open honest good faith quarterback competition between Fitzpatrick Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen but Fitzpatrick is beginning the offseason practices as the QB one and it very much is his job to lose Ron on Tuesday on Fitzmagic having begun his tenure as a Washington quarterback as OTA practices have started
1: it was good to see Um, you know he's a very veteran guy he picks things up very quickly um, you know, he, he handled it very nicely. Uh, I, I think the guys have, have already started to draw towards him in terms of, uh, you know, being comfortable, understanding, you know, the way he does things, how it fits our structure. Um, that's one of the really cool things is, is, is a guy like him that, that can come in and, and, and assimilate very quickly. Uh, and, and teammates around him uh, uh, gather around him and kind of assimilate to his style as well.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that has been said many times about Ryan Fitzpatrick is that he is a leader. Perhaps nothing captures this better than what happened with him on the Miami Dolphins in 2020. So Fitzpatrick, in the summer of 2020, actually referred to himself as the placeholder for Tua Tungavailoa. Like, how often does that happen, that a guy who is the placeholder actually comes out and says, "Yeah." I am the placeholder. Uh, Dolphins, of course, had taken Tua with that number five pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Fitzpatrick had the Dolphins at three and three, then got benched in favor of Tua, but Fitzpatrick didn't whine, didn't complain. Dolphins tied in. Mike Kosicki actually called Fitzpatrick, "quote the greatest teammate I've played with. End quote. We got used to Alex Smith being spoken of in these godlike ways over the last few seasons in terms of leadership. And justifiably so. Alex uh, warranted, that praise. But Fitzpatrick is spoken of in the same way. Ron Rivera on Tuesday on what he saw from Fitzpatrick in the OTA practice as a leader.
1: Well, first of all, he, he took very good command of the huddle. Uh, you know, he got the, the calls out quickly, got to the line of scrimmage, got guys lined up. Um, and, and that's one thing you can see in terms of his knowledge and understanding already of what we're doing. You know, we got a lot of first and second year guys that are on the field and, and he helped get them lined up. Um, and, um, you know, and then you listen to him talk with uh, with with Scott and, and, and with Kenny and, and you can see, you know, he's suggesting things. So there, there's there's that type of um, seniority that, that you feel and see from him, because, he, as I said earlier, he's been around and um, he's got he's got a vast wealth of uh, of knowledge that we can also uh, gain from as well. Not just the players, but the coaches.
2: I know that all coaches value leadership. It does seem, though, doesn't it, that Ron Rivera really values leadership at the quarterback position. Remember, Ron said incessantly last offseason regarding Dwayne Haskins that he needed to become more of a leader. Every time Ron would get asked about Dwayne, Ron would immediately say, leadership, he's got to be more of a leader. And there's not a doubt in my mind, the number one reason for Dwayne getting benched after week five last season was the lack of leadership, the lack of work ethic, the lack of proper preparation, you know, showing up late for team meetings, which to me is still incomprehensible given that Dwayne was handed the starting quarterback job going into the season and was told repeatedly last off season that he needed to be more of a leader. But that was the turnoff. And Ron was done with Dwayne upon benching Dwayne after week five of last season. I know Ron went back to Dwayne later in the season, but Ron did that because he felt like he had to. And that turned out to be a mistake. And I think Ron would tell you that right now. We should have just gone to Taylor Heineke off what went down in the maskless strippergate scenario last December. There is zero concern when it comes to Ryan Fitzpatrick that he is lacking in leadership, lacking in proper preparation. You don't have to worry about Ryan Fitzpatrick showing up late to team meetings. I still cannot believe that Haskins did that last year. Haskins off a bad rookie season in the first season of a new regime off having been told incessantly that he needs to be more of a leader, is showing up late for team meetings. Like, what do you need, dude, to finally get on track here? I just, I cannot get over that. Anyway, that is in the past. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Washington is his latest team. Uh, there are journeyman quarterbacks, and then there's Ryan Fitzpatrick, for whom Washington is his ninth NFL team. Fitzpatrick is going into his age 39 season. He was taken by the St. Louis Rams in the seventh round, of the 2005 NFL Draft out of Harvard. He spent his first two seasons with the St. Louis Rams, then spent the 2007 and 2008 seasons with the Cincinnati Bengals, then spent 2009 through 2012 with the Buffalo Bills, then spent 2013 with the Tennessee Titans, 2014 with the Houston Texans, 2015 and 2016 with the New York Jets, 2017 and 2018 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and 2019 and 2020, with the Miami Dolphins now 2021 and perhaps beyond with the Washington football team. How does Fitzpatrick constantly adapt to new teams? More from Ron on Ryan on Tuesday.
1: Well, first of all, he's a very smart football player, you know, and as I said, he's been around, so he's picked up our system fairly quickly. Um, but as I said, probably one of the good examples of it was, you know, he threw a back shoulder fade. Um, you know, and a lot of times it's, you know, you come in, you develop, and, and you 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 have this trust already. Um, and I, I know last week you threw a few balls to the cam, but today on on that particular play, camera on a nice sideline route, and lo and behold, that back shoulder was there. Um, that was really cool. Then we have one where it's actually a play where where we botched the snap, um, and what happened was the the center and guards try to re ID the the defensive line in the middle of the cadence. And because of it, it threw everything off and and, and, and Ryan told him say, Hey, we can't do that. Once we got it, we gotta stick with it. So it's kinda neat to see him step up and correct his teammates as well. So, you know, you see that 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 veteran savvy, that veteran leadership.
2: Yeah, so how about that some Hutzpah from Ryan Fitzpatrick? What about that? What about Fitzpatrick having the comfort and confidence to right away be admonishing new teammates?
1: Well, you know, if, if the guy didn't have the reputation Ryan has in terms of being a good teammate, being a smart football player, and, and being a successful player, um, it would be hard. It'd be difficult. But I think because he, he's got he's got so many. Um, um, games under his belt. He's had so much success under his belt that I I think he's gotten the players' respect already. So that's a really cool thing.
2: Now, also in attendance at Washington's OTA practice on Tuesday were Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, and Steven Montez. And yes, I said Kyle Allen. He did practice. Washington resigned Allen this offseason as an exclusive rights-free agent. He's coming off that ankle injury, suffered a dislocated left ankle, and reported small fracture in the loss to the New York Giants at FedEx field in week nine of last season. Ron on Tuesday on how Kyle looked.
1: He looked good. He threw the ball well. You know, his, his movement was good. Um, it was limited, obviously, but it was good to see him out there moving around. Uh, I, I like what we saw from all our quarterbacks uh, today. I, I thought those guys worked hard. Um, their retention from last year was very good. Their retention from, 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 from installations this year has, has been really good. So I think we're in a good position at that uh, at, at quarterback right now.
2: Remember two things with Kyle Allen from the 2020 season. A, Ron, in the lead-up to the win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football in Week 17 to clinch the NFC East, got asked a softball question about Alex Smith and used it as an opportunity to sing the praises. Of Kyle Allen, right? Ron got asked essentially, Ron, would you be here if not for Alex? And Ron point blank said, yeah, if Kyle Allen had stayed healthy and B, Kyle blew away Washington's other two starting quarterbacks in the 2020 regular season in terms of ESPN's total QBR. Here were the total QBRs of each Washington starting quarterback last regular season. Dwayne Haskins, seven games total, 31.0 total QBR. QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Alex Smith, eight games, total QBR of 34.8. Kyle Allen, four games, total QBR of 74.5. Yes, small sample size, four games, but Kyle Allen had a 74.5. Total QBR as compared to Alex's thirty four point eight and old Wayne Wayne's thirty-one point zero. Let's hear some more from Fitzpatrick. Here he was on Tuesday on working with Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, and Steven Montez.
3: It's a good group. Uh, we've we've had a good time kind of getting to know each other and you know the being a quarterback in the NFL, it's a it's a small fraternity. So we've got a lot of mutual friends and you know, guys that you know Plenty of guys that we've hung out with and joked around with that are kind of friends of all of ours. But um, it, it's been good getting to know these guys just in a couple of Zoom calls and stuff. And now, just like all these other relationships, being able to do some stuff on the field and in person and figuring out their personalities and trying to help here or there as much as I can, uh, that'll just continue to get better as the off season goes on.
2: And Washington desperately needs the quarterback play in 2021 to be miles better then a quarterback play of 2020. Going back to total QBR, the Washington football team last regular season was number 32 in the NFL, dead last in team total QBR at 39.7. Again, total QBRs on a scale of 0 to 100. 39.7 was the Washington football team's team total QBR, For the entire 2020 regular season. Remember, Washington as a team last regular season finished with 16 touchdown passes versus 16 interceptions. That's woeful, especially in a 2020 regular season in which all kinds of passing records were set in terms of overall league passing. Washington was at the back of the line in terms of total QBR as a team, for the season. As for some non-quarterback items, Ron Rivera addressed quite a few. We'll get to those next. But as you certainly know, Ron dealt with skin cancer last year. Not a fun topic, I know. The kind of cancer that Ron had was a squamous cell skin cancer. Something very familiar to a big supporter of this podcast, Dr. George Verghese, medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He's a board-certified dermatologist and Moe's Surgeon, the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical Having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 396 01. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. I did want to get into some of the best of the rest from Ron Rivera and Ryan Fitzpatrick at their Zoom press conferences. On Tuesday, when we had the first Washington football team OTA practice open to the media in this 2021 off season, so Ron Zoom presser on Tuesday was the first time that Ron spoke publicly since Washington released Morgan Moses and Jaron Kristen last Thursday. Why did Washington release those two? Here was Ron.
1: Um, other than we're just going in a different direction. You know, we have uh, an opportunity to, you know, get some young guys on the field. Um, you know, we 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 went out and brought in a, a veteran left tackle, so feel very comfortable, you know, with with those decisions because of the players that we have uh, on the roster right now. I mean, they're both very good players. They were good players for us and they'll continue to be good players in the league. Um, You know, we just feel it's an opportunity to get some young guys on the field.
2: All right. So I had to laugh when Ron said young guys. Yes, Samuel Cosme is young, but Charles Leno Jr. is going into his age 30 season. Cornelius Lucas is going into his age 30 season. Meantime, Morgan Moses is going into his age 30 season, and Jaron Christian is going into his age 25 season. So Leno, Lucas, and Moses are all the same age, and Kristen is in his mid 20s. So this idea that Washington released Moses and Christian to go younger isn't true. Washington released Moses and Christian to be better. Washington thinks it's actually better without Moses and Christian. And in Moses's case, there's also a significant salary cap savings. Although, as we've discussed, it's not like Washington is in a bad spot when it comes to the cap. So it's not like Washington had to release Morgan Moses to get under the cap or to have enough cap room to sign the draft picks, anything like that. You know, I still look at the whole Morgan Moses thing with the backdrop of Enron and John Matsko, I trust, with this offensive line. So I'm willing to see this thing out. I'm not mad that Washington released Morgan Moses. I do ask the question, though, of did you have to do that? Like what exactly was the true purpose of doing that? Like if you felt like your best offensive line did not include Morgan Moses, okay, fine. But why couldn't you still have Morgan Moses around for at least a little while longer just to make sure, you know, Samuel Cosme doesn't tear a knee on day two of OTAs or Charles Leno Jr. doesn't deal with an nagging hamstring injury in training camp. And is it good to go come the start of the regular season? Something like that. Like Injuries happen and we have seen injuries, especially offensive line injuries snowball for Washington in the past. Think back to the 2017 season. You have a guy in Moses who no isn't perfect, but yes, doesn't miss games. Does he get banged up? Yes. Does he miss games? No. Six seasons for Morgan Moses as Washington starting right tackle 2015 through 2020. Never missed a game. Started all 96 of Washington's regular season games during that span. Started both of Washington's playoff games. During that span, compare that with Brandon Sheriff during the same span. He played in just 78 of a possible 96 regular season games, including just 32 of the 48 regular season games over the last three years. The Morgan Moses durability was a big deal, was a very positive deal. And you just discarded that and got nothing back for it. And I'm just like, did you have to do that? You know, Kristen, I get Kristen didn't work out here. Kristen ended up being a fail of a third round pick. But Morgan Moses was a big-time success as a third-round pick. And you didn't have to shed his salary. As far as we know, he wasn't a malcontent. Now, if there was stuff behind the scenes we're not aware of, then again, in Ron and John, in this case with the offensive line, I trust. But if Moses was a good soldier behind the scenes, why exactly did this have to happen? I, I still do wonder about that. But again, I think there's a benefit of the doubt that Ron Rivera and John Matsko get when it comes to the Washington offensive line, which remember, ended up being a strength as last season went on. For all of the negativity regarding Washington's offensive line early in the season, it turned out that a lot of that was on the starting quarterback at the time, Dwayne Haskins. Some changes did end up happening to the offensive line. Wes Martin out, Wes are in at left guard. Jaron Kristen out, Cornelius Lucas in at left tackle, although that swap had to do with injury as opposed to the left guard situation, which was a benching. But the offensive line ended up being a strength, and Ron and John deserve a lot of credit for that. So let's see what happens here. I know they are very excited about Samuel Cosme, and I am too. Samuel Cosme, one of many athletic freaks taken by Washington in the 2021 NFL Draft. Going back to this idea of injury, we had two Washington receivers who dealt with injury in 2020 on the practice field on Tuesday, Kelvin Harmon and Antonio Gandy-Golden. Harmon spent the entire 2020 season on Washington's reserve slash non-football injury list He was put on that on September 5th. He suffered a torn right ACL and torn right LCL while working out last offseason. Gandy Golden had essentially a lost 2020 rookie season, played in just six games, totaled just one reception on three targets. Antonio Gandy Golden was on Washington's reserve slash injured list from October 24th through December 26th, so for more than two months due to a hamstring injury that was suffered in the loss at the New York Giants. In week six, Ron on Tuesday on how Harmon and AGG looked in the OTA practice.
1: They both look good. Um, Kelvin made a nice catch on the sideline early on. Um, and, and it was good to see him moving around. It really was. Uh, he's a young man we missed last year. Uh, AGG, it was good seeing him out there. You know, big physical presence, uh, you know, guys like that have most certainly have roles.
2: Yeah. I'm really interested in Kelvin Harmon for this upcoming season. So Kelvin Harmon was taken by Washington in the sixth round of the 2019 NFL draft out of NC State. And he came on as his 2019 rookie season went on. First of all, he started playing more, but he started producing over the last seven games of the 2019 season. Kelvin Harmon, 22 receptions for 290 yards on 35 targets. And Harmon during that 2019 season was a very good blocker. Uh, in fact, to me, he was Washington's best blocker among all pass catchers, receivers, and tight ends in 2019. So there's a real value that Kelvin Harmon could end up providing in 2021, even if he doesn't necessarily catch a bunch of passes. Also from Ron on Tuesday, the linebacker position. So as we know, Ron loves wait for it, position flex. Position flex. Exactly. And keep in mind, there exists position flex within positions. And linebacker is a good example of that. There's the strong side linebacker, the Sam. There's the middle linebacker, the Mike. There's the weak side linebacker, the Will. So when you call someone a linebacker, you really should be more specific and say, well, in that defensive scheme, is he the Sam, the Mike, or the Will in the case of a team that plays a 4-3 base defense as Washington does? Of course, Washington, like most NFL teams, is in nickel like 70% of the time. But the idea, especially with Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb, is that they can play multiple linebacker positions. Again, position flex. Rod right on Tuesday, on how set he would like to be regarding which linebackers play which linebacker positions.
1: By week one of the regular season, you know, you'd like to have your, your primary guy set. And hey, this is where you're going to be for the most part. You know, and, and yet, but still having the ability to adapt if something were to happen. You know, that's, that's again, a big part of the reason, you know, we talk about position flexes. You, you never know how things are going to work out. You never know if somebody's going to get hurt or something happens. And, and, and you've got to move a guy from one spot to the other. Because uh, you want to, you want to make sure you put the best player on the football field. You know, if you have a guy that only plays one spot, uh, something happens. You know, that, that, that's a tough situation. So again, we, we're going to continue to move our guys around and develop them. And you know, as as we get into training camp and then further along in training camp, you'll start to see guys settling into their primary positions.
2: All right. Washington did make a roster move on Tuesday. Washington announced the signing of unrestricted free agent tight end Ricky Seals Jones. So Washington has added another tight end to the mix. Seals Jones is going into his age 26 season. He comes to Washington with 60 career receptions for 773 yards and eight touchdowns out of 120 targets over 41 career regular season games in four NFL seasons. 2017 through 2020. Seals Jones in the 2019 season for the Cleveland Browns, 14 receptions for 229 yards and four touchdowns on 22 targets. He was a receiver at Texas A&M. He is what you now call a move tight end. A move tight end is essentially a pure pass catching tight end. So he's not here to block. He's not here to steal the edge. He's here to catch passes to whatever extent he ends up doing that if he makes a team. Uh, Seals Jones entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of A&M with the Arizona Cardinals in 2017. He spent the 2017 and 2018 seasons with the Cardinals, the 2019 season with the Browns, and the 2020 season with the Kansas City Chiefs. So this is another tight end now who Washington has brought on board from the Chiefs. Now, maybe that's just coincidence and nothing more, but it was just a few weeks ago, May 5th, on which Washington announced the signing of unrestricted free agent tight end Dion Yelder. Yelder spent the last two-plus seasons with the Chiefs, so maybe there's a Chiefs pipeline working here right now, at least at the tight end position. But obviously, Seals-Jones joins a tight end group that already includes Logan Thomas, uh John Bates, who Washington took in the fourth round of the 2021 draft at a Boise State. Samis Reyes, the Slayin' Chilean, as our friend Burgundy Blog calls him. Uh Samis Reyes was on display at the OTA practice on Tuesday. More on him coming up in a bit. You do still have Tameric Hemingway, who got some time with Washington last season on the roster. And like I said, you have this guy Yelder uh, in the mix as well. But Reyes remains kind of the intriguing guy. I still don't know how likely it is that he ends up doing anything in twenty twenty. Remember, Samis Reyes is a guy who has never played football at any meaningful level. Here was Ryan Fitzpatrick on Tuesday on his impressions of Samis Reyes.
3: Yeah, he uh he, he certainly put together I, I think you know the first time I saw O. J. Howard, it was like, Wow, this, this guy was put on earth to play tight end in, in the NFL and uh Samus might even be bigger than him, you know, just in terms of how you know his frame and how muscular he is and all that uh so we we haven't had a ton of time to to talk or to do work on the field uh, with him but he's definitely a guy as you see him walking through the hallway that you, you take notice because there aren't a whole lot of human beings on earth that look like that
2: no there are not he's got muscles in places most people don't even have places and it is a fascinating story samis reyes played college basketball at tulane for two seasons didn't play much, graduated from Tulane, then played for the Chilean National Basketball Team, and then in May 2020, decided to try what he had been told to try for a while, football, spent 10 weeks training at IMG Academy in Florida, worked out in front of scouts at the University of Florida's Pro Day this past March 31st, and he killed it so much so that the Washington football team outright signed him as an unrestricted free agent. And Samis Reyes, remember, the measurables were so off the charts that the relative athletic score metric considers Samis Reyes to be the most athletic.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
2: Size adjusted tight end to ever enter the NFL. The measurables at that Florida Pro day included a height of six five and three eighths, a weight of 260 pounds, a 40 time of 4.65 seconds, 31 bench press reps of 225 pounds and a vertical jump of 40 inches. He is a freak. He looks like a bodybuilder. But of course, that may mean nothing when it comes to playing tight end in the NFL. We shall see. All right, guys, look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfer sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to now. getroman.com/slash With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com slash algaldi and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash algaldi now to get fifteen dollars off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash Al Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Wizards at the Philadelphia 76ers, game two in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Wednesday night at seven. The Wizard coming off the 125-118 loss at the Sixers in game one on Sunday afternoon. By the way, we had news on Tuesday regarding games at Capital One Arena in this series and perhaps future series for the Wizards in this NBA postseason. The Washington Post reporting that monumental sports and entertainment has been granted a waiver by DC officials to have 50% capacity. At upcoming home games, a drastic increase from the previous capacity limit of 25%. So that means nearly 10,000 fans will be allowed to attend Saturday night's Game 3 and Monday night's Game 4 at Capital One Arena. So very good news there and very good news here right now because very pleased to welcome the Al Galdi podcast, the co-host of the On the Road with Buck and Phil podcast, the legendary former television voice of the Wizards, Steve Buckhans. Buck, it's great to talk to you, man. How you doing?
4: You're too kind, Al. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm surviving and um, getting back to normal, and everything seems to be good.
2: Yeah, great to hear you and Phil on the pod. Ron Rivera, a recent guest. That was a great poll.
4: You know, that was great, and uh it's just, it's nice, you know, uh, we're, we're in this business, and when we talk to these guys, it's generally about X's and O's, but so it's nice to be able to talk about other things. Uh, he really talked about uh, his his cancer and how he got through it and um, just some real good insight. Uh, he got a little emotional. I mean, it, w- it was nice to see that side of him. And I had never met him before. Uh, so this was the first time I got to speak with him <clears throat> and meet him personally. And he really was engaging and enlightening and seemed like a really good guy. So I'm rooting for him like everybody is. And uh, it was a lot of fun to have him on.
2: He didn't yell at you about anything that was in Playboy, did he?
4: No, you know, that's reserved for one specific coach <laughs> okay. named Joe Gibbs, and uh, we share that little bit, in, you know, together, so uh, we'll always remember that.
2: Okay, well, good. Well, listen, man, I love talking Wizards with you, so I did want to get your take on what's going on with the team. First of all, just kind of a macro question. What a bizarre up-and-down, like, bipolar season it's been for the Wizards. At times, they've looked awful. At times, they look great. What do you make of this Wizards team overall this year?
4: I've been trying to figure that out for a couple of months, Al, and the only thing I can think is that, you know, when we talk about this team early on when they were, what, 17 and 32 and they were horrible and, you know, everybody was asking for Scott Brooks' head, which some still are, um, you know, we we thought, well, there's no – I thought anyway, look, there's – there's no chemistry. These guys are just running around aimlessly. They're not switching on defense. They're not rotating. They're not playing any defense at all. And, um, you know, Westbrook wasn't performing, and it turns out, I guess, he was he was injured. So a lot of those things, you know, you had a lot of pieces to this puzzle that weren't in place. And I said this, and I've said it for years, whether it's the football team or anybody, chemistry is a huge part of it. And it took them several months to gain that chemistry and then for Westbrook to get healthy and then for just to sort of figure each other out. You know, they, they now have a what they call the three-headed monster at center. They have Berton's when he's hot. Beal and Westbrook are phenomenal. Hachimura's great. They have all these pieces that are starting to come together. And I think, Al, it just took them, it took them some time to really just, get to understand each other and play together, and then really to play some defense. Because if you watch this team now as opposed to early on, even though they're still giving up a lot of points at times, they're playing much better defense. So I think that's, to me, that's sort of what's been going on.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you on the defense. They played a fast pace, so those opposing team point totals are high. But yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Wizards are always playing Terrible defense. With this series against the Sixers, obviously it's so rare for an eight seed to beat a one seed. That said, game one was pretty close. The Wizards obviously went into the NBA playoffs hot. Do you think the Wizards can make this a competitive series?
4: Absolutely. And I think, you know, who knows what happens? Listen, the Phillies, what, another eight point favorite and they're likely to win the game, although it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Wizards upset them. But then you come back to Washington for a couple of games and I think they can get one or two in, in Washington. So remember, I think the, 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 the most telling stat to me during that entire broadcast and I was watching the, uh, the TNT broadcast for obvious reasons. Um, you know, the most telling stat to me was, that when the Wizards lost to the 76ers three games during the regular season, it was during that 17-32 and 32 stretch. It wasn't when they were good. So we don't know how good they could have been against them like they were the other night, and like you say, it was a close game. So, um, but 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 what people can realize when they watch these games is, and we just talked about it, defense is ratcheted up a notch or two. I mean, look at Philadelphia; they're all over the place on defense. They're making Beal and and Westbrook had twelve turnovers combined. They each had six okay, you're going to get some turnovers occasionally. But if you looked at those turnovers, they were because Philadelphia was forcing them into bad situations. They were forcing Beal up into the air with nowhere to go. They were making Westbrook look at referees and think they were his teammates. You know, so uh there's a reason that those turnovers happen, And that's because defense gets ratcheted up in the playoffs. But I think the Wizards can give them another good game. I think think they could steal a game. You're always going to have a decided advantage at home, especially now when you have fans in your arena, and in that arena they can get pretty hostile, as you know. So that's a decided advantage for Philadelphia, and that plays on the officials. I'm not going to say that it makes them determine calls, but they're human, and we know what, what it's like to have home court advantage.
2: With Russell Westbrook, The trade, obviously, is the thing that, in some ways, defines the season. And initially, it looked like a steal of a deal for the Rockets. Now we look upon it in almost like a completely opposite fashion. Wizards, of course, attached a protected first-round pick with John Wall to get Russell Westbrook. And now it may well be that the Wizards got the better end of that deal. What, to you, does Westbrook bring to the team that Wall did not?
4: Well... You know, John had been here a long time, and so they were only going to go as far as those guys took him. And, of course, they were still building around that core, Beal and Wall. Um, and not it's not to say that John isn't a really good player and an excellent player and an all-star and all of those things. But what, West, what Westbrook brought to the team, what he brings to the team, not just triple-doubles every other night, what he brings to the team are instant credibility and respect. And you can see that he's changed this team's demeanor, not just the culture of the team, but he's changed their demeanor. These guys are all going out there and playing like Howell Neto plays, like Garrison Matthews plays, like these guys who go out there like a bunch of crazed dogs. This is what he's brought to the team. And then you add that to his his skill, his ability, which is unbelievable, and it's taken a few months to come around. But, you know, look, I've said this on our podcast. I've said it publicly. I love John Wall. He was great here, great for the community. Uh, he's a really good player. There's no question the Wizards got the better deal. Uh, you know, Westbrook is just, he's a better shooter. He's, uh, he, he, he's, he's, you know, he's just, he's just a, a much more all around player. Uh, and yeah, does he take some bad shots occasionally? Yes. Does he make some turnovers? Yes. But look. The guy's a walking triple double. He's unbelievable. And he's just, he brings that credibility and that respect. So the team is listening to what he says. And that's huge.
2: Talking with the co-host of the on the road with Buck and Phil podcast. Of course, the former television voice of the Wizards, Steve Buckcantz. You mentioned Scott Brooks. Do you think Brooks now is definitely back because the Wizards made the NBA playoffs or do you think that's still very much up in the air?
4: Well, knowing the owners like I thought I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. he's 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 definitely back and uh somebody had said something to us the other day on a a twitter spaces that we did during the game which i think we're doing again at halftime so i invite twitter fans to 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 actually they can ask us questions live which is kind of neat the infill yeah it's cool uh somebody said something about you know the threshold for scott brooks and this and that and i said he's crossed the threshold they 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 Won 15 of their last 20 games. They got into the playoffs. He's coming back. Uh, Leonsis is not going to get rid of this guy. I mean, who? You know, I just I don't see it happening. So yes, I think there'll be an extension or whatever you want to call that. And I think he's he's around for a while.
2: There is a bigger picture that a lot of us Wizards fans have wrestled with, which is, okay, it's great that the Wizards rallied to make the play-in tournament and now the NBA playoffs, and it's been exciting to watch Russell Westbrook do as he's done and Bradley Beal lead the Eastern Conference in scoring, et cetera. But bigger picture, where is this headed? Like, is this still a realistic best-case scenario team of, you know, a mid-40s win total but never really truly contending for a championship? Beyond this season, Buck, what do you think needs to happen for the Wizards to become championship caliber? Do you think they stay the course and try to add another piece? Do you think this talk of blowing it up actually is valid? That because Bradley Beal can opt out in a year, you do have to seriously consider trading him? What do you think the long-term play is here if you're the Wizards?
4: Well, a lot of it really depends on him. And he's been very loyal to his credit. He says he wants to stay here. But look, we've heard, you know, when Dwight Howard came here, he said he was going to end his career here and look what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys changed their minds at the drop of a hat uh but Beal has been here and I think he he sees this team has potential and to me I wouldn't blow it up <clears throat> I would stick you know if Westbrook's going to stay and be around and they they have him and they can re-sign Beal um you know you look for another part you look for a wing player you look for another shooter if you can get a good big man terrific uh but they have three decent big guys I mean I I don't have any problem with their centers right now and I think Gafford has been incredible so um I would I wouldn't mess with it too much. I think Tommy Shepard has done a pretty good job looking at this overall picture now as we've given him some time for these guys to develop. Looking at the players they have, I, I like what they have. I like Ish Smith as a backup. I, I like, you know, these other players that they have, uh, for the most part that are playing in the rotation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with it. I think that you have to 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 continually look for another player or two to to add to this team but i i think they're pretty good and i think they're pretty pretty legit and they've surprised the hell out of me al and i I'm, I'm, I'm really, I enjoy watching them because I think they, they can be a pretty damn good competitive team.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Final question. So with Tommy Shepard, it's so funny how this stuff could work out. The Wizards wanted Tim Conley, didn't get him, wanted Masai Ujiri, didn't get him, had to quote unquote settle for Tommy Shepard. And he's made like one very good move after another. He's of course a basketball lifer, has been with the organization for years. I know you know him well. What do you think about what Tommy Shepard has done here over the last two years? Well,
4: I, I hate to say he just needed a chance because that's kind of cliched. He he's has has he's had chances in other organizations, you know, albeit not in a a primary role. Now he's got the primary role, and you know, look, he worked with Ernie for a long time, so you can't just denigrate Ernie on this. But Tommy um has made what looks to be all the right moves. He's he's gotten some terrific plug-in players. That have played well and that are good players. Uh, I I think. Look, he he's always been known as a very bright guy in every organization where he's been. Obviously, Denver for a long time, and uh, and people love him, and and I love him. And he's a, he's he's one of the great guys. Uh, he's a terrific dude. We all think highly of him, and I think he's a pretty smart guy. And he's made some, you know, the moves he's made. Again, it took some patience for all of us, but they seem to have come around to prove him correct. And so I'm happy for him, and and I think he'll continue to, to to search and hopefully continue to get some more good players.
2: Excellent. Make sure you check out the podcast On the Road with Buck and Phil. Steve Buckhans, it's great to catch up with you, man. Thank you so much.
4: Al, miss seeing you, and I hope you're safe and healthy in the family, and uh, it's great to talk to you.
2: The fallout from the end of the capital season continues. The five-game first-round series loss to the Boston Bruins, third consecutive season in which the Caps have been ousted in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. On Wednesday, Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan and Head Coach Peter Laviolette will be speaking to reporters via Zoom. On Tuesday, we had Caps players speaking to reporters via Zoom in the final widespread media availability for Caps players this season. So first of all, we got the injury reveals. You know by now how it works in the NHL during team seasons. What you almost always get with injuries is upper body injury or lower body injury and nothing more. The NFL doesn't operate like this. MLB doesn't operate like this. The NBA doesn't operate like this. But somehow the NHL gets away with this. You know, especially with the rise of sports gambling, I do wonder how much longer the NHL will do injuries this way because it's awfully shady. But anyway, now that the cap season is over, the injury truths have been revealed. So Alex Ovechkin, you may recall, missed seven games in an eight-game stretch late in the regular season due to a lower body injury. Ovechkin on Tuesday saying that that injury was a leg injury also said that he dealt with a back issue during the playoffs. Defenseman John Carlson, he said that he was playing through a knee injury that he suffered late in the season, wasn't sure about whether he would need surgery. Lars Eller, who missed game three against the Bruins, said that his injury in the postseason was a groin injury. And TJ Oshie said that he suffered a, quote, little tweak, end quote, to his midsection area late in the regular season. As for what now for the Caps? Because that is the big question. What now off three consecutive first-round playoff exits over the last three seasons? Well, Alex Ovechkin is set to be an unrestricted free agent. Ovechkin in January 2008 signed a 13-year, $124 million contract extension, the first $100 million deal in NHL history. That contract now is up. Yes, he made it through all 13 years. He more than delivered over those 13 years. The widespread expectation is that Ovechkin will be re-signed. He certainly suggested as much on Tuesday, here was Ovi on if he's confident that he'll re-sign with the Caps.
4: I'm confident.
3: Obviously, uh, we we still have time. Um, obviously, I want to finish my 30 here. Um, I'm pretty sure we, uh, we'll we do something uh,
2: soon. All right, so that does not sound like a guy who's playing little games and, you know, is flirting, at least publicly, with the idea of leaving. Like, no, I think he wants to re-sign. I think the Caps want to re-sign him, and they should be able to, to arrive at a deal. You know, Ovechkin said too that he himself is handling contract negotiations with owner Ted Leonsis and senior vice president and general manager Brian McClellan. That had been thought to be the case. Ovechkin confirmed that on Tuesday. That is something else, right? A massive money player, an all-time great in Ovechkin doing his own deal. But I guess who needs an agent when you're Alex Ovechkin? But this really shouldn't be that complicated. Ovechkin has made a ton of money This should not be a situation in which he's seeking every last penny possible. Give him a fair deal, but Ovechkin should be willing to do a deal that helps the Caps continue to be competitive moving forward. And the Caps should very much want Ovechkin back. Yes, next season will be Ovechkin's age 36 season. And yes, Ovechkin did have a disjointed 2020-2021 season, but he also ultimately had a productive 2020-2021 season. So Ovechkin actually missed 11 games. This past regular season, missed four games in January due to COVID-19 protocols, then missed the seven games in the eight-game stretch late in the regular season due to the leg injury. And like we said, OV admitting on Tuesday that he dealt with a back injury during the playoffs. But Ovechkin this past regular season, even in playing in just 45 of the Caps' 56 games, led the Caps in goals, 24 goals, led the Caps in even strength goals, had 15 even strength goals. That's significant. Ovechkin's goal total wasn't just a function of the power play and, you know, setting up camp in the OB office that is the left circle. Ovechkin delivered at even strength this past season. And he finished number five on the Caps with 98 hits. Now, Ovechkin this past regular season for NHL.com did have the third worst five-on-five shot attempt percentage among qualified Caps at 48.05, but Ovechkin was good in the postseason. Ovechkin over the five games against the Bruins had two goals and two assists, led the Caps with 20 shots on goal, led the Caps with 25 hits, and was number five on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for NHL.com at 54.7. And Ovechkin, of course, is chasing history. He is number six on the NHL's all-time list for regular season goals at 730. Wayne Gretzky is number one at 894. It's not gonna be easy for Ovi to catch up to the great one, But it is by no means impossible for Ovechkin to catch the great one. He can do this. He can pull this off. He's 164 goals away from Gretzky. It's going to take a while, all right? It's not going to happen in a year or two or three. But Ovechkin can do this. And it's better for him to do it here in D.C. as a cap. That benefits him more. And it obviously benefits the caps more. Because there would be real money in a legit Ovechkin chase to become the NHL's all-time leader in regular season goals. How about Evgeny Kuznetsov? What to do about Kuzi? Next season will be his age 29 season. He, in July 2017, signed an eight-year, $62.4 million contract. Kuznetsov is very talented. We all get that. But he's also a pain in the butt. A very checkered history with the Caps, including this season. Kuznetsov, this season, played in just 41 of the Caps 56 regular season games and then played in just three of the Caps five games in the playoffs the missed time largely having to do with two separate bouts with COVID-19 the first bout was part of that controversy that remember led to the NHL on January 20th fining the Caps hundred thousand dollars for player violations of the league's COVID-19 protocols. Remember the four Russians, Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, Ilya Samsonov, and Dmitry Orlov. Trust me, we'll get to Samsonov in just a few minutes. But anyway, Kuznetsov's second bout with COVID-19 came off him and Samsonov having been suspended for a game by the team for being late to a team function. And then how about this from Kuzi on Tuesday? I got a kick out of this. Kuznetsov on Tuesday saying that he got COVID-19 despite having been vaccinated. But listen to how he said it. Quote, if I am going to be the first person with the vaccination and get COVID twice already and, and get it third time, I don't know. I may be the special one. End quote. Uh, I feel like something maybe was lost in translation there because Netsov speaks very broken English. Um, I have a very hard time believing that when he got COVID-19 in January, he had already been vaccinated. I'm certainly willing to believe that the second go-around with COVID-19 came despite him having been vaccinated. We have seen that. Heck, the Nationals pitcher, Eric Fetty, he just got COVID-19 despite having been vaccinated. But the way Kuznetsov said this, if I'm going to be the first person with the vaccination and get COVID twice already and get it third time, I don't know. I may be the, the special one. Kuznetsov is whacked out. He is. He has always come off as whacked out. And uh, this quote on Tuesday uh, was no uh, no change from that. But yeah, man, look, Kuznetsov drives you nuts, okay? I can only imagine behind the scenes what Brian McClellan and Peter Laviolette have had to deal with. But this thing that's out there of just get rid of him, uh, I would not do that. I would not be in a hurry to do that. I mean, first of all, if you trade him, you're trading him at this point for pennies on the dollar, all right? That's not the way to do this. Second of all, what are you going to do? Leave him unprotected for the expansion drafts? So you are going to lose him for nothing? The guy who led the team in points in the 2018 Stanley Cup playoffs, you're going to let that guy just go for nothing? I mean, really, you got to try to figure the Kuznetsov situation out. You've got to see if Peter Laviolette can unlock the mystery, that is Kuznetsov can solve the puzzle that is Evgeny Kuznetsov because the talent is too good to just dismiss. I'm sorry. Like, you know, you might say, hey, enough's enough. I hear ya, but enough isn't enough. Okay? You can never have enough talent. He's young. He's locked into a big money contract. And again, if you trade him, you're trading him for pennies on the dollar at this point. What about TJ Oshi? You know, Oshi is like the anti Kuzi. Older, not nearly as skilled, but far more beloved, far more of a good soldier. There has been a lot of talk about the Caps potentially leaving Oshie unprotected in the June expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. Uh Maybe even trading Oshi, because again, you hate to lose a guy like that for nothing. It would hurt to lose Oshi. there's no doubt. Major fan favorite, very productive capital. But this, to me, is the kind of parting of the ways that the Caps have got to start making. Oshi on Tuesday on the talk that he could be left unprotected for the expansion draft for the Kraken.
5: Like I, I signed an eight year deal here because this is where I wanted to spend the rest of my career and, um, and retire here. And I know there's, uh, a business side of things and, and, uh, there's a reality when it comes to pro sports, um, team sports in particular that uh, there's always a, a chance that you could, you could go somewhere else or get traded or, um, or whatever. But I've, I've approached, um, every day. And since I've been here, like, this is going to be the, the last team that I ever play for. And, and, uh, I think I've done a, a decent job of, of proving that to, um, to Labby and, and Mac that this is where I want to be. And I feel like I, um, can still be a big part of this team moving forward as I, as I get older here. Um, had one of the better years scoring, I think um, this year. so I don't feel like I'm slowing down at all and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, you know to bring another cup to DC.
2: It's tough with Oshi because he is older. Next season will be his age 35 season. The caps in June 2017 signed Oshi to an eight year 47 million dollar contract extension. And the thing is Oshi is still a very valuable and productive capital. Oshie this past regular season played in 53 of the Caps' 56 games, was number one on the Caps with 13 power play goals, was number two on the Caps with 22 goals, was number three on the Caps with 43 points, was number four on the Caps with 21 assists. He was a good teammate in spending a good bit of time at center due to Evgeny Kuznetsov's COVID-19 absences and Lars Eller dealing with injury. Uh, Oshi was responsible for the most inspirational performance of the Caps' 2020-2021 season, the 4-2 win at the New York Rangers on May 5th. Oshi with a hat trick off missing the Caps' previous game due to the death of his father. What a game that was, what a performance that was by TJ Oshie. Remember, that was that insane game in which you had the brawl for all between the Caps and the Rangers off the Tom Wilson incident. That game featured the Caps and Rangers combining for 27 total penalties, 13 five-minute majors, including 12 five-minute fighting majors. The game was nuts, but the game also included TJ Oshie scoring a hat trick off the death of his dad. Everybody loves TJ Oshie. Nobody wants the Caps to have to lose T.J. Oshi, but if you're trying to get younger, if you're trying to get faster, if you're trying to get cheaper, you have to make some tough calls. And a guy like Oshi does sort of check all those boxes of he is older, he is not necessarily the fastest guy on the team, and he is expensive, you know, exp- or expensive enough to where there's a lot of commitment to him moving forward. Again, eight-year contract extension signed in June 2017. What the Caps do with Oshi this offseason, I think is going to be very telling and indicative of how the organization views things moving forward. And then there is our pal, the goaltender, Ilya Samsonov. You know, it's been one thing after another with this guy and another thing emerged on Tuesday. The Caps, it turns out, are not allowing Samsonov to participate in the 2021 International Ice Hockey Federation World Championship. So if you're a Caps fan, you know this. Every year around this time, at the conclusion of the Capitals' Stanley Cup playoff run, usually at the end of a first round or second round series, a bunch of Capitals go off to play internationally in this IIHF World Championship. And a good number of the guys play for Russia, right? Because the Caps Have so many Russians. Well, the official Hockey Russia Twitter on Tuesday morning announced that the Caps had not approved Samsonov joining Team Russia at the 2021 IIHF World Championship, as Caps doctors did not clear Samsonov. Now, why exactly he was not cleared, we do not know. He obviously played in the last three games of the Caps Stanley Cup playoff series against the Boston Bruins. So he was cleared to play in those games, but now he has not been cleared to participate in the world championship playing for Russia. So you wonder what this is about. Is this perhaps punishment from the Caps for all that the Caps have had to go through with Samsonov over the last year? So the Caps took Samsonov with a number 22 pick in the 2015 NHL draft. He has been groomed for years to be the Caps' goaltender of the future. Well, the future is supposed to be now, but the problem is it hasn't been now because Kuznetsov keeps screwing up. He has caused one headache after another. So you start with this. He was unavailable, as you may recall, for the restart to the Caps' 2019-2020 season. The Caps last July 25th announced that Samsonov, who had not taken part in any practice during the training camp for the restart to the season, had suffered an injury prior to camp and would not travel with the team to the Eastern Conference hub city of Toronto. We then got a report from Russia in August of last year saying that Samsonov got hurt in an ATV accident in Russia. Then came Samsonov missing a ton of time this season due to two absences caused by COVID-19 protocols. He missed a big chunk of time early in the season due to actually having COVID-19. He actually, on February 8th, talked about how he had trouble breathing and walking while dealing with COVID-19. So, you know, he feel sorry for the guy in that regard. But it was Samsonov who was a part of the Quartet of Capitals Russians, right? Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and defenseman Dmitry Orlov, along with Samsonov, violating the NHL's COVID-19 protocols to where the NHL, back in January, fined the a $100,000 for player violations of the league's COVID-19 protocols. Then came Samsonov missing the final five games of the Caps' regular season. And then the first two games of the five-game first-round series loss to Boston in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Remember the first game of those seven games that he missed late in the season due to team suspension as Samsonov and Kuznetsov had been late to a team function. Samsonov also being out didn't just screw the caps from a standpoint of Samsonov being out. Remember, Vitek Vanacek suffered a lower body injury in the first period of game one against the Bruins. So that ended up meaning that, yes, Craig Anderson, he of his age 39 season, he of the mere two starts for the caps during the regular season played the bulk of the time at goaltender for the Caps in game one and then in game number two. Remember, Anderson was a Cap starting goaltender in game two. The Caps incredibly in this series against the Bruins, three different starting goaltenders over the first three games of the series. But Samsonov put the Caps continually in a tough spot. Oh, by the way, it's not like his play was lights out. At times he looked good, but at times he didn't look so good. It ended up being, I thought, a very mixed season for Samsonov just in terms of his play on the ice, and then this thing that pops up on Tuesday of the Caps not allowing Samsonov to participate in the IIHF World Championship, the Caps doctors not clearing Samsonov, I don't know about you, but it's impossible for me to see that, to hear that, and to not at least wonder if this is punishment from the Caps. The doctors not clearing Samsonov, that sounds an awful lot to me like, the Caps are angry at old Ilya for all that he's put the team through. And now that the capital season is done once again via a first-round exit, the Caps are saying, no soup for you, Ilya, and not allowing him to go play in that IIHF World Championship. You tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Al You can email me, the AlGaldi podcast at yahoo.com. All right, more weak offensive sauce from the Nationals on Tuesday night, a 2-1 loss to the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park in Game 1 of a three-game series. Nats now 20-24 and on the season. So much for the Nats-Bats busting out in that three-game sweep of the Orioles at Nationals Park over the weekend. The question coming out of that series, if you are an objective, sober Nats fan, was, This great offensive onslaught authored by the Nats, was this more about the Nats' bats or the Orioles' horrendous pitching? And at least right now, the answer is the latter. The Nats on Tuesday night in this game one loss to the Reds, a mere four hits, a mere two walks. And how about this? The Nats didn't register a single at-bat with a runner in scoring position. So we can't even say like, and the Nats went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position, or and the Nats went 1 for 6 with runners in scoring position. The Nats didn't have a single at-bat with a runner in scoring position on Tuesday night. Nats scored just the one run. This was the 13th time in 21 games that the Nats scored three runs or less. And while a lot of guys had problems, I want to highlight a person in particular right now and that is Juan Soto. Juan Soto does not look well, you know, and he's now been off the 10-day injured list for three weeks. He came off the thing on May 4th, okay? As we speak on this Wednesday, it is May 26th, and Juan Soto just still has not truly gotten going in this 2021 season. Now, it's not like his overall numbers are horrendous, but in particular, he's not hitting for any power. Soto on Tuesday night, Then at starting right fielder at number two batter, one for four with a single, but he struck out twice. And how about the specifics of the two strikeouts? Strikeout number one came on three pitches to begin the bottom of the fourth. How often do you see that Juan Soto striking out on three pitches? And then strikeout number two came via Soto swinging with the count full for the first out in the top of the ninth on a bizarre fail of a check swing. It looked like he was trying to check his swing. He didn't come close to checking his swing. And he ended up striking out in a plate appearance in which he was ahead at one point, 2-0. So he was up 2-0. The count ended up being full. And then, like I said, he struck out on this bizarre fail of a check swing. And then after that, he was talking to the home plate umpire. And it's not like Soda was arguing with the home plate umpire. It seemed more like he was asking the home plate umpire, where was that pitch? Was that a strike? Would that have been called a strike? Soto looks confused. Soto doesn't look like himself. He doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence right now as a batter. And that's not what we're used to seeing. You know, we need the Juan Soto of the Soto shuffle. We need the crotch grabbing Juan Soto. Where is the crotch grabbing Juan Soto? Because that's the Soto we need to see on display. And we're not seeing that right now. Uh, he's not looking like himself. And, you know, he is held to a supremely high standard. That is true. But he should be held to that high standard because when he's right, he is the best hitter on the planet. And he's not looking that way right now. Got to get Juan Soto going. I think he will get going. I'm not like, you know, that worried about Juan Soto. But it's been a few weeks here and he still really, truly hasn't gotten going since coming off the 10-day injured list. Remember, he was on that from April 20th until May 4th due to a left shoulder strain, you do have to wonder, maybe, just maybe, is the left shoulder still a problem? Uh, also struggling on Tuesday night, Trey Turner, starting shortstop number one batter, 0-4 with a strikeout. Kyle Schwarber, starting left fielder, number four batter, 0-3 with a strikeout. And he had a defensive boo-boo. Uh, Schwarber committed an error on a Nick Castellanos one-out double on a 1-2 pitch off Max Scherzer in the top of the fourth. Schwarber missed playing the ball off and bouncing off the warning track and then off the left field wall allowing Castellanos to get to third, although he did not end up scoring. By the way, I thought it was odd on Tuesday night. Davey Martinez pinch hitting for Schwerber in the bottom of the ninth inning with Ryan Zimmerman. Now, it was a lefty-on-lefty matchup with Schwerber batting, so I can maybe kind of understand it there, although we've seen Schwerber bat against lefty pitchers and have some success. Uh, but Zimmerman, in a spot in which the Nationals needed power because they weren't putting people on base, Davey has Zimmerman pinch hit for Schwerber, as opposed to pinch hitting for the next batter in the Nats lineup, Sterling Castro, who offers like zero power. I, I did not agree with that. I would have liked to have seen Schwerer bat and then have Zimmerman pinch hit for Castro. Uh, Zimmerman ended up having a pinch ground out for the second out in that Nationals. One run, ninth inning. As for Castro, starting third baseman, number five batter, he went over four on Tuesday night. Josh Harrison, starting second baseman, number six batter, he went over three on Tuesday night. Uh, Jan Gomes, starting catcher, number seven batter, one for three with a single, okay. Uh, Andrew Stevenson, starting center fielder, number eight batter, over two with a walk, okay. I mean, it was just nothing happening with the Nationals offensively, with the exception of one man. And believe it or not, that man was Josh Bell. Josh Bell, my friends, is busting out. Starting first baseman, and number three batter on Tuesday night. He went two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Bell had a two-out full count walk in the bottom of the first, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. He had a one-out single in the bottom of the fourth, and he had a one-out full count solo homer, despite having been down in the count at 1.12 in the bottom of the ninth inning. Yes, Josh Bell was a one-man offensive force for the Nationals on Tuesday night. And how about this now for Bell? He, over his last 11 games now, has increased his OPS for the season by 204 points. His OPS for the season has gone from 487 to 691. Now, 691 is still not a very good OPS, but it's a lot better than 487. I mean, think about that. A 204-point increase in your OPS over an 11-game stretch. It tells you all you need to know about how bad Bell had been, but also how well Bell has been doing here lately. It's not just that he's hitting a bunch of singles, like he's actually hitting for some power here in recent games. It's been great to see. And we always knew that he was capable of this you know, the question was, well, to what extent were we going to see this in 2021? And we're still not sure about that, but it sure is nice to see this year over these last 11 games, 204 point increase in his OPS. So the shame of the game on Tuesday night for the Nats is that the Nats wasted another really good outing by Max Scherzer. Two runs in seven innings, nine strikeouts versus five hits, which consisted of two homers, a double and two singles. Also issued a walk, also issued a hit by pitch, but he threw 67 of his 107 pitches for strikes. And for the most part, he did really well. Max struck out four of the first five batters he faced. Did give up two solo homers. Okay. Uh, gave up a leadoff first pitch homer to Kyle Farmer in the top of the third. Gave up another leadoff homer. This one to Eugenio Suarez in the top of the six. You know, if you're going to get to Max, the book right now is you try to ambush him. You try to get him on a first pitch bomb, uh, Max throws a lot of first pitch fastballs and uh, players can capitalize on those. But for the most part, the home run has not been an issue for Max Scherzer, certainly since his first start of this season. And here's the bottom line. The guy gave up two runs in seven innings with nine strikeouts on Tuesday night and lost. That's not supposed to happen, especially, by the way, against a team like the Cincinnati Reds. You know, the Nets weren't facing the Los Angeles Dodgers on Tuesday night. The Nats weren't facing the San Diego Padres on Tuesday night. You're facing the lowly Reds. You're starting your ace, Max Scherzer, and you lose the game. I mean, that's bad. That's not the way it's supposed to go. But don't blame Scherzer. He is having a really good season. He now, over 10 starts, has an ERA at 2.27, has a whip of 0.85, and has 85 strikeouts versus 13 walks. I really have nothing bad to say, about Max Scherzer. I mean, you know, you want to go nuts over giving up two solo homers, knock yourself out. I'm not doing that. He's been tremendous so far this season. And the Nats bullpen was good on Tuesday night. Two Nats relievers combining for two scoreless innings. Wander Suero looked terrific in tossing a perfect top of the eight. Two strikeouts. He struck out Alex Blandino on three pitches for the first out, and struck out Eugenio Suarez on five pitches for the second out. And Sam Clay tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. Did get into some trouble, began the inning by giving up a single and then a walk, but he then induced a 6-4-3 double play off the bat of pinch hitter Scott Heineman. That's what Sam Clay does, induce grand balls, and he certainly uh, did it there to great effect in getting that double play. Game two for the Nats against the Reds at Nationals Park, Wednesday night at 7.05. Joe Ross Versus Jeff Hoffman, Joe Ross has not pitched well lately. Over his last two starts, he's allowed 12 runs, 10 earned, in seven and two thirds innings. I would say that Joe Ross's spot in the rotation might be on the line, but we're still waiting for Eric Fetty to be back from having tested positive for COVID 19. He and Tanner Rainey do remain on the COVID 19. Injured list, and that's last Wednesday put Fetty and Rainey on the COVID-19 injured list due to one of them having tested positive for COVID-19 and the other having been deemed a close contact. We do believe that it was Fetty who tested positive and Rainey who was the close contact. Now, what's particularly annoying about this, and Max Scherzer actually talked about this after his last outing, is that Eric Fetty got vaccinated, but has still been out here due to having tested positive for COVID-19. So A, Fetty got vaccinated, but still contracted the virus. And we know that that can happen, but you know, that's annoying. But B, Fetty got vaccinated. He has been asymptomatic. It's not like he's sick or anything like that. And he still has ended up missing a good chunk of time here. And there's no guarantee he's going to be back like, you know, tomorrow or even the next day. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for that much longer, but he still has had to quarantine and he still is going to have to end up missing a good chunk of time. And, you know, I think about this, and this is exactly what Max Scherzer ranted on during his last post-game Zoom press conference. So again, going back to last Wednesday, May 19th, you are disincentivizing players from getting vaccinated if they're not given more of a relaxing of the COVID-19 protocols. Like put aside the benefits of getting a COVID-19 vaccine for your own health and for what you're doing in terms of society, okay? Like just put that off to the side for a moment. There is supposed to be in Major League Baseball a competitive advantage this season to getting vaccinated because you're supposed to have a relaxing of the COVID-19 protocols. And that has been seen as kind of a nice way of incentivizing players to get vaccinated. Well, this whole Fetty Rainey scenario has completely pushed back on all this. Fetty got vaccinated and yet still got the virus and it still had to end up missing a good chunk of time. Rainey, it is believed, did not get vaccinated did not get the virus, and he's going to end up joining the Nats sooner than Fetty. Uh, Rainey has been cleared to rejoin the club for workouts after several tests for COVID-19 over the last week have come back negative. So, you know, this is not rewarding good behavior if you consider getting the COVID-19 vaccine good behavior. Fetty got the vaccine still got the virus, and now is going to have to sit out for even longer. Rainey didn't get the vaccine, didn't get the virus, and now is going to be rejoining the ball club sooner than Fetty rejoins it. It's, just, it's 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 not supposed to work that way, and yet that is exactly how it's working out. I think Max Scherzer is 100% right. MLB should have relaxed its protocols for a guy like Eric Fetty even further. He shouldn't have had to quarantine and he certainly shouldn't have had to miss this much time when again, he's asymptomatic. And the belief is, and I know it is kind of gray area, but if you've been vaccinated and you're not symptomatic, that you're not really at risk to be spreading COVID-19. I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around all this and I feel bad for Fetty. It's not right. He did things the right way and it feels like he's almost getting punished for having done things the right way. Uh, also on Tuesday, the Nats making a corresponding roster move, finally, to having put Victor Robles on the 10-day injured list on Sunday, retroactive to May 20th due to a sprained right ankle. The Nats recalled infielder Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester. What is notable about this, two things. A. Garcia is one of the Nats' more well-regarded position-playing prospects, although it's all relative because the Nats don't really have any truly well-regarded Position playing prospects right now, but Garcia is pretty well thought of at least in the organization. And B. Carter Keyboom was not the guy who was recalled from Rochester. Carter Keyboom has been completely buried in the Nationals' organization. The Nats want nothing to do with him right now at the major league level. It's incredible. He has gone from the third baseman of the future, from the Anthony Rendon replacement, to now he can't even be recalled from AAA Rochester when the Nationals need someone, almost anyone to come up to the team to help out with Victor Robles having been put on the 10-day injured list with this right ankle sprain. Uh, it does not speak well at all for where Keyboom is at. In case you're curious, he has struggled so far this season for AAA Rochester. It's not like Garcia set the world on fire either so far this season, but again, it goes to show you where the Nats are right now with Carter Keyboom. We move to the Orioles, for whom the slide continued on Tuesday night. An eighth consecutive loss, 7-4 the final at the Minnesota Twins in Game 2 of a three-game series. O's now are 17-31 and on the season, 2-15 and since their 15-16 and start. It was another bad start for Dean Kramer for the O's on Tuesday night. Five runs in four innings on six hits which were a homer, four doubles and a single. He issued three walks. He issued two wild pitches. He did have five strikeouts, but he threw just 51 of his 94 pitches for strikes. It has been brutal lately. This Orioles starting pitching has been. And it's been especially disappointing to see guys like Dean Kramer not do well. You know, Dean Kramer in his previous outing, a 10-1 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday afternoon. Four runs in three innings on five hits, which were two homers, a double, and two singles, and four walks. He, in that game, threw just 35 strikes versus 28 balls. You know, he had been at least decent in each of his three previous starts prior to these last two starts, but the last two starts have been really bad. And Dean Kramer now, this season, over nine starts at the Major League level, ERA a six eighty-seven. I mean, that is woeful to go with a whip of 1.66. You know, you keep at it with a guy like Dean Kramer because you want to see if he ends up becoming something. Kramer is one of the guys who the O's got from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the package for Manny Machado in July 2018. But these are what you call growing pains in a tanking season in which you're just trying to develop some young players and perhaps rehab some veterans and flip them eventually. Uh, this is what you go through. Okay. You throw guys out there and you see what they have. Uh, but it's been a rough go of it here lately. For Dean Kramer. Some good news for the O's on Tuesday night. Cedric Mullins had himself another good game. In this season, starting center fielder, number one batter for the O's. Mullins had a leadoff double in the top of the first. We got picked off at second base to end the inning. But Mullins also had a two-out, two-run single with the bases loaded in the top of the second. And he had an outfield assist in throwing to shortstop, Freddie Galvis, who then threw out Andrelton Simmons at home for the third out and the Twins' one-run fourth. That was a really nice defensive play by the O's. Mullins to Galvis and then a nice tag applied by the former Nets catcher, the Orioles catcher pedro severino but how about the season mullins is having he's cooled off a bit lately but still cedric mullins on the year batting average of 297 on base percentage of 367 slugging percentage of 476 going into games on tuesday cedric mullins was number one among all orioles position players and wins above replacement for baseball reference at 1.7 on the season also dj stewart hit another homer on Tuesday night, he was the Orioles starting DH and number five batter, had a leadoff homer on a one two pitch in the top of the eighth, also drew a two out nine pitch walk in the top of the ninth, despite having been down in the count at one point, one two. We talked about Stewart on Tuesday's installment of the podcast because Stewart and the Orioles eight three loss at the twins on Monday night, a mammoth two out two run homer to right field on the second pitch after a 45 minute rain delay. For a 3-2 Orioles lead. A glorious bat flip engineered by DJ Stewart on that home run, which went a projected 411 feet per stat cast. O's had that three-two lead in the top of the eighth. Then the bullpen allowed six runs in the bottom of the eighth inning. Things not going so well for the Birds these days, but that's the way that it goes in a tanking season. O's try to avoid a three-game sweep or do they? They're tanking, so I'm not sure what the O's want. But anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and say they're going to try to avoid the sweep. The players are trying to win. The manager, Brandon Hyde, is trying to win. Tanking, remember, means that the front office in the offseason doesn't actively try to improve the club for the upcoming season, or at the very least, doesn't make moves with the looming season as the goal. You know, it's more about the bigger picture as opposed to the immediate picture. That's really what tanking means. You don't spend big money. You don't make win now moves. You make more moves for future seasons. And that's clearly what the O's have been doing. And it's what they have needed to be doing. So the Orioles back at the Twins on Wednesday afternoon, beginning at 110, Jorge Lopez versus Michael Pineda. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo dot com. Big show on Thursday. More from Washington football team. OTAs. Full breakdown of whatever happens in Wizards 76ers Game 2 in Philadelphia on Wednesday night. Will the Wiz pull even with the Sixers in the first round of the NBA playoffs? We'll have more fallout from the end of the capital season as both Brian McClellan and Peter Laviolette are speaking on Wednesday. And we'll get into the latest on the Nationals and the Orioles. Nats have Game 2 against the Cincinnati Reds at Nationals Park. On Wednesday night. Hey, maybe the Nats will score more than one run. That would be nice. Uh, the Orioles, they're trying to avoid that three game sweep at the Minnesota Twins and a ninth consecutive loss on Wednesday afternoon. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you on Thursday.
0: No! Not possible! Not possible!